Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Porter. And I'm Nadine Smith. And this is Canada Horse Podcast brought to you by Informed Equestrian. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. Canada Horse Podcast, we are spotlighting the Canadian horse industry while serving our mission to help bridge the knowledge gap for horse owners by offering the whys behind the decisions we make for our horses from their tack to their trainers to their vet care and everything in between. Our listeners are encouraged to use the information offered here on the Canada Horse Podcast to make informed choices that suit their individual needs. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd. This is episode 17 of Canada Horse Podcast. And for the first time in what feels like months, maybe it actually is. This is just the two of us here together today. So, so much has been going on lately that we've been filling our solo chat spots up with interviews and they've all been fantastic. So I'm so grateful, but it is nice to be back with just Nadine. It's been amazing, but we're also really looking forward to the discussion we're about to have because it's about something that has been on the top of our minds very recently. And today we're talking about making the decision to sell or to keep a horse. Oh boy. I feel like this one could dig up some emotions. Hi everyone. I have to say, we are so happy to be here to have a platform and to be able to strike up these conversations that really do get people thinking about their own opinions and beliefs. When Nikki mentioned the topic, did you feel a certain way about it? Are you open-minded enough to listen to other people's opinions and understand why it's okay that they might feel a different way? Or who knows, maybe you'll even change your thoughts about it after listening to this episode. You know what's really great? We have never actually set out to be controversial in any way, but we did intend from the beginning to talk about topics that don't often get openly discussed with open minds and without judgment. And the feedback that we're getting tells us that this is without a doubt the conversations that need to be taking place. They're wanted and it's really snowballing into you guys talking about this in your own lives, rethinking your previous judgments and opinions, you're setting boundaries and you're becoming more aware of your own choices, which really makes us so happy. We could not be happier. You've got that right, Nikki. We go through the process of creating the outlines and the questions for our episodes. We record the interviews, do the editing, and then we listen back along with the rest of you. I know I do anyway. (laughs) Nikki listens back when she does the editing. (laughs) Every time we feel empowered and empowering. I think that that means that we're doing exactly what we hoped to do with this podcast. Now, shall we get into the topic at hand? Nikki, your husband recently sold a horse that he has had for several years. He did quite well with him. And many people around the Maritimes who knew them together were pretty surprised to see him go. Not because Mike usually keeps all of his horses, because he really seemed to have a great bond with this particular horse boy. So the whole situation got us talking. We've been talking about it personally and really led us to having this conversation in this podcast. So could you give us a little bit of background on how you guys normally operate when it comes to buying and selling horses and a bit of the thought process that went into Mike actually selling boy? Yeah, absolutely. So I love that you say it It was a little bit of a shock to people because we didn't receive any negative, like outward blatant negative judgment towards us selling. And I think that really does come from the understanding and that, you know, we do sell horses. Like we right. don't, we only have two horses or had two horses before boy left because we don't keep them when we buy a new horse. But that being said, this was a special circumstance in the sense that, like you said, they were so good together. Like they mm-hmm. did really well together. They look the part, they act the part. It was just like one of those partnerships that when you see them working together, there's no denying that they work well. It is a partnership through and through. And so it was an interesting, um, 
an interesting decision to be able to sell. And actually it was a similar decision to sell him as it was to sell Oki when you and Mark approached us. Um, So it was similar in the sense that I knew that Oki was like a once in a lifetime horse. And I remember going and having lessons with Oki and coming home and I would write Facebook statuses about, oh my gosh, like what a dream. I remember loping home in an open field by myself, sitting down and her coming down to a walk, approaching her buddy screaming at the fence and thinking like, oh my gosh, what a dream horse. Like, how did we get her? And knowing how, how lucky we were to have her. And I feel like we had the same feeling about boy. But then also on the other hand, seeing our horsemanship and the areas we want to improve in our horsemanship and our goals with our horses and what we want to do and seeing how just because we love them and we so appreciate them, it doesn't necessarily fall into our long-term plan. So with boy, you know, it comes down to, for all of Mike's horses, it's an age thing and a, and a where is he going next thing. And it's no disrespect to the horse or to their value in our, in our life at the time. Um, but there does come a time where, where he feels the need to move on. And I have always been that way within my, my horsemanship and my horse journey as well. So, um, our horses come to us and we appreciate them and they give us such, so many good years. And then they move on to families like yours and, for, in, for this situation, it was boy, he went to um, a gentleman in Quebec who now we're already receiving messages from him saying like, we went to a show this weekend, we kicked bum, he's amazing, he's everything you told us he would be, and do you have another one like him? So it's it's been really cool. That is really great. So there's a few things that I want to follow up on there. First of all, I think it's really great that you mentioned about how you guys both are... have an understanding where you buy and sell horses so that you and your husband share the same values when it comes to whether you're going to sell them or keep them. And then another thing is that, and you didn't really dig into this too much is it was a pretty difficult choice for him. So he was over here a few weeks ago and you had told me that he was going to sell boy. And when I asked him about it, he wasn't even ready to talk about it. Right. No, he really wasn't. And I don't even think that I knew how difficult it was. Um, But when I think about the emotions that I felt selling Oki, and I didn't make this connection until today and really thinking about it, but I could see him go through all those emotions. I didn't cry when we sold Boy. He might be the first horse that I didn't cry. And I think it's because I was holding space for Mike. I think he needed to be able to like feel his way through that without me projecting my emotions. He wasn't my horse. He wasn't the horse that I, you know, went to the barn to go and see. And, and even though I loved him, he was not mine. He was hundred percent Mike's. Um, so it was a difficult decision and they're always challenging to make, but again, we trust why we're making them. And we also trust who we're selling them to like, it, both of the situations for Oki and boy, it was like, we almost felt like it was out of our hands. Like mm-hmm. it, it was just one of those situations where even you like, you, you, you say, okay, well, I'm going to be non-negotiable. Like I'm going to, I'm going to just <laughs> say like, this is what it is. And when the people are like, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> then yeah. You go, oh man, <laughs> like, you know, and there was yeah. a couple of times that Mike said, am I making the right choice? But it's, it wasn't out of out of like an instinctual dote. It was just, he's only in my mind, he's only had a partnership with a horse one other time like that before. And we did keep her. He, she, she was the only horse he ever kept and we retired her. Um, and she passed away in his mom's pasture. So, you know, like this was that horse for him, that next horse for him. And, uh, you know, we don't have the capacity and the room, um, emotionally, financially, physically, all of the things to be, to keep these horses, all of the horses. So we do have, we've made a commitment to have one horse maximum, two horses each. And, and the other thing is too, first of all, you guys do this. He makes money training horses and, and you're not competing a lot right now, or he hasn't been competing a lot. And so he's got this like really broke, really nice athletic horse that likes to work. 
And then you have to make that decision. Am I going to just put them out to pasture for the foreseeable future until I'm ready to compete again? Or do I actually sell him to somebody who's ready and willing to put him to work right now where he wants to be? Yeah, exactly. This horse loved to do the job. Like he didn't want to go and just do the flat work and he didn't want to just sit and do nothing. He loved to do a job. And that was not where Mike was at in his time with horses. It's just not the season for him. So he will ride in the winter and then he puts them away for the summer. Um, And it is a shame to look out and see this incredibly athletic horse that, you know, would be making like somebody's world by riding him just sitting in the pasture so it, it, that definitely contributes to the decision for sure. I can definitely relate to that because I've, I told, well, you included, but probably three other people that I would be willing to sell bow this spring. And it was completely just because I felt guilty about not him, not working and me not knowing if I was going to have a show. And if I wasn't going to have a show, I wasn't really putting a priority into riding him And I just, he loves to work and he's such a good horse. And I just felt guilty about it. But then now that I'm riding again, I'm like, oh, good thing I didn't sell him because I really love this horse. (laughs) It's funny. I feel so the opposite with Ford because he loves doing nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And Oki doesn't, we say this all the time. Like Oki could care less if she ever works again. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you're okay with it then. Like yeah. you don't mind just having them out there doing nothing if they don't, like you can tell from their personalities, but when you have a horse that really likes to work, it feels like a sin to have mm-hmm. them out there just doing nothing. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you didn't sell them. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. And Mark, was, Mark too was just like, I hope you don't think that we're just going to turn around and buy another horse right now. And I'm like, no, it's not that. It really isn't that I wanted to sell him because I wanted a newer brighter, more fancy, whatever horse. I just really felt like somebody could be doing him justice if I wasn't, that was, that was completely it. So, yeah, I think part of that too is like, you know, there's a, there's so many different reasons why people choose to sell their horses and so many different reasons why people choose to keep their horses. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and I think this, if we if we drive this point home, and this is the only point we drive home the whole entire podcast, I think it's worth recording, is that like, that is up to them. And, and we have to trust that people have put that time and thought into it. And that people are doing it for the best of both what they believe is right for them, and what they believe is right for for their animal, the amount of people who will say, Oh, my gosh, I thought you would never Uh, you know, whether I thought you would never sell that horse or why are you keeping that horse and doing nothing with it? If we can just have a little bit of, of open conversation about some of the reasons like we are today, why we would choose to sell them or some of the reasons why we would choose to keep them, maybe it will just offer some insight to be able to lessen the judgment of others. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I do think it comes down to a few different things. Safety, finances, enjoyment, purpose, like you just mentioned. And so if you have a horse, this is one of the times when I know you and some other trainers and clinicians, I've, I've heard almost, I don't know, not suggest somebody sell their horse, but open their minds to that. Maybe you would do better with a different horse or selling this horse because it might not be safe. Yeah. Or perhaps you need to invest more money into a, an appropriate trainer for this horse, because there are instances where it's not safe for the horse or for the owner. And beyond safety, you're absolutely right. First of all, safety is always number one. But the other part is you see this, you use the word guilt when you speak about Bo a little bit. And like, you see this like all encompassing guilt that people have and it starts to take over their whole entire life with horses because they feel guilty because they bought this horse. It was their responsibility. They chose to bring this horse into their life and it's their responsibility to keep it for the rest of its days and like offer it the best life possible. But the other side of it is maybe they're not even enjoying it. They no longer enjoy their time with horses. They have fear. It's just not the right horse. So there's so many... The other part of it is like, they don't, you know, 
they maybe they haven't had the experience of having that right horse and they don't even know what it feels like to be able to sit on that horse like when I sat on Oki and went oh my gosh this is what I've been looking for my whole life I feel safe in a situation that also makes me feel free like it was it's incredible when a horse offers that so a lot of people become caught up in that fear of the judgment of others their own judgment what does it mean? What does it say about me? Where will the horse go? And I think that, you know, when we see that as trainers or clinicians or, or friends, um, we also see their potential. So we see them saying, I want to do this. And they're upset. There's emotions attached to it. I really want to go be able to do this. This is my goal. This is my dream. And they also feel guilty because they're feeling held back by the very horse they chose. And so go ahead, Nadine, I can see that. you. No, I, I just like loved when you said that I, I can relate to that. So just keep going. Yeah. So I think that if we can just have open conversations with those people to be able to say, there is a time like you to sell, there's a time when that is appropriate. And there's also a time when it's appropriate to keep them. But if you are only keeping a horse out of guilt and ill feelings, then it's an opportunity to just kind of assess it. Because when I, when I look at selling and I look at the horses that have moved on from our family to different families, I, like it gives me such a warm feeling because of the messages we receive or we see these horses and they're, they're well cared for. They are loved by these other families who also appreciate them. And if we're careful in who we sell them to now, granted, you know, you don't have the control over every situation, but I, you know, I've always really trusted my gut in these situations. Um, then, then it can be the right thing to do. Yeah. So you guys do a really good job of finding people to, that are the right match for your horses. And it is a very challenging thing, especially if you're selling it for financial reasons, right? So if you're selling your horse because you need the money and then to pick the right person instead of the, just the first person that comes along is a we, little bit We don't advertise very often. Like we no. have advertised, but we typically don't advertise. And the owners that are right for these horses come to us. Like we, it's amazing the amount of horses we've sold that the owners come to us. The thing is, though, is that you guys are in a little bit of a different situation, probably maybe than a lot of the people that are listening, because you do this as a as a job. Um, so for the average person like myself, who's a non pro or just like has one horse, you buy your horse, it's the only thing you, you use only that horse. And it's, it can become like a pet, like part of the family. And you definitely don't have people knocking at your door to try and buy your horse. Um, for the most part, you have to either go to a trainer, sell it, through um online or classifieds or facebook or whatever have you and and for me when i had just through word of mouth told a couple people that i know that are in the area that have people that they know said you know if you have anybody that's looking for a horse that would be a good fit for my horse then just let me know kind of thing but it it isn't as easy usually for people to just sell a horse through word of mouth as it is for you guys who that's what you do as a career yeah. And um, we, we definitely recognize that. And I'm, yeah. I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you have experienced selling a horse and you know that, you know, you have to put out an ad and you, you have to really communicate with people that you don't know, if you want to send in some, some advice to people on how do you do that and, and make sure that you're doing what's best for the horse, how do you vet the people that are coming to look for your horse. Do you, I will say this, Nadine, is that we did when I was younger, um, I was 14 and we were selling, she was my heart horse as a child, an incredible horse. Um, she was a large pony, I should say. And we were selling her in Toronto. So it wasn't, we weren't selling her to anybody that, that we knew. Her ad was placed, they watched a show, and they would approach us. And we did have a woman come and look at this horse and she offered to pay full price for her. And even as a 14 year old, I sat and I watched her ride that horse. And I went to my parents and said, no, we can't accept her money. She is not the right home for this horse. Um, I just 
something in me told me it was not right. We took like three or $4,000 less from a family who I felt comfortable and, and willing to sell her to. Um, and that's, you know, that's as a child, I knew in my belly that first home was not right. And it wasn't about the money. I'm sure my parents were like, it's about the money. Like we just took you to, to Toronto. We just spent $10,000 on a, on one horse show. It, they would have loved that full money. Um, but it really wasn't about it at that point. Yeah. It, and I mean, we've all seen black beauty and <laughs> thought like, you know, and I think that the, I think the intention to keep them from for their entire lives sometimes stems from watching black yeah. beauty and seeing things like this, where you just know what, the, what can happen to them if they go from one hand to the next hand to the next hand in the life that they can have. And I do think that some people, they just really enjoy the personality and the relationship building of that one horse. And they have no need to transition from one horse to the next. They just want that horse. They love that personality. They love that they know that horse for 20 years and that makes them happy. And I can a hundred percent appreciate that because that was the mentality that I grew up feeling. Mm. And I was, uh, I would say traumatized by the first sale of my pony. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, t- I'll explain it a little bit more in a minute, but it, it has taken me a few years well, like a lifetime at this point to understand that it is okay for me to love a horse and then decide to sell it. I think that it is completely okay if you're a person that has a horse and you value keeping it for their whole life because that's just all you want out of it. I think what we are talking about more is like that guilt piece or the finance piece or the safety piece or the you're not progressing in your training or your competitive level because you're stuck deciding to keep a horse that's holding you back a little bit like you just said yeah sometimes I look at it well it is about a relationship really and I look at it as relationships with humans that hold us back or are abusive we can be in difficult relationships and we feel like we need to it's our responsibility to fix them we can feel like it's our responsibility because we signed up for this you know, that a lot of those emotions get tied in and those same emotions get tied in with horses. And that's why we have horses. They're like, they are our partners and we, we love them on so many levels uh, and they fill in so many gaps, but it's really, um, it's really sad when you see someone who they're in a really challenging relationship, holding themselves back based solely on a decision they made they even they made maybe they made that decision as a kid maybe they were like 16 when they got that horse um or maybe their parents chose it for them uh, there's so many reasons why a partnership might not be working uh and i say this all the time just because a partnership does not work out for you just because someone is not right for you does not mean that person is not right for someone else So it's the exact same thing with our horses. People will say, oh, that horse is dangerous. Oh my gosh, that horse, this, that horse, that. They might not work and they might show all of these things with someone else and then be brilliant because they just match on a different level with someone else. And there does not need to be guilt attached to that. Yep. I thought that exact thing as you were saying that it's just a person that has an issue with one horse, if somebody else had it or even a trainer Mm-hmm. trained it for a while and then could match it with a personality a hu- another human that has a personality that matches best with that horse because mm-hmm. let's face it we all have different amounts of energy and anxiety and some of us are calm and you know when we when we bought Oki, I don't know if we've talked about this story w- before on the podcast but my husband Mark has such a calm personality that Nikki was like beside herself the first time he went to go show her because he just like rode in there like no big deal (laughs) didn't prep her I don't even know if he warmed her up he's not he wasn't really a horse person but he was so safe on her and so chill and Oki just like did her thing performed like the queen that she is (laughs) so true it's so true Take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Pache Motors, the largest Ram HD dealer in Atlantic Canada. They are family owned and operated and they're highly trained staff, no trucks, towing and hauling better than anyone. 
Okay. So we have talked about safety, finances a little bit, enjoyment. What about purpose? So Mm. I think that it is more common for people in a competitive, um, the competitive industry of horses to be buying and selling horses as they level up or as they change disciplines. Would you agree with that, Nikki? I absolutely agree because that's what I grew up doing. So I grew up knowing that when I bought a pony, I had certain goals. Like I literally wrote out my goals as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old of like, I want to beat my sister. So my sister and I were two and a half years apart and we were always neck and neck but she always came out on top. So I had written it down that I wanted to win a championship over Lisa and I wanted to go to the Royal and I wanted to go to the Olympics. Uh, I did not go to the Olympics and I will not go to the Olympics, (laughs) but I had the other two. And the other two meant that I was committing to selling ponies. And it was a conversation. It was a real conversation that my parents had to have with me And it's interesting because I grew up with two sisters and they had the reality of getting the ponies, um, but they didn't have that same like internal drive to move to the next level. They had that commitment to the horse that we speak about, about the people that are like, I want to keep my horse forever. And we were very, we grew up and in the same house brought up by the same parents and we had different values when it came to buying and selling horses. So I, every horse I have, I own Ford and he's my only horse. I have sold every horse I've ever owned. And Lisa, um, she kept her large, she stopped at large pony. She kept her large pony. She kept her until she had to be put down and she got her next horse. And Kaylin, her, they, they still haven't sold her small pony. <laughs> so, oh, really? you, you know, she's being ridden by other, by other kids. Obviously Kaylin's 24 years old. Um, <laughs> But (laughs) yeah, but she would not allow my parents to sell that horse. It was a non-option. So it's interesting just based on our goals. Like I competitively from a young age had these goals and it's the exact same feeling I have now. It's the reason I sold Betty in order to buy Ford. And I loved Betty. Uh, She and I like, we just meshed and I needed to, in order for me to up my game, my riding game and my horsemanship game. I needed that next level horse. And, and it's really interesting where you say that. See, that's the, the part where it's okay to have different opinions and different goals with your horses and, and to keep them forever or to sell them. But I think it's to understand that whatever you decide is okay. Or if you're feeling like you're having a hard time deciding whether you should keep them or sell them, or if you're just really struggling and you're, you don't enjoy as many days as you used to, you know? And we can we like talk about the fact that we're allowed to change our minds. Like, yeah, we're allowed to change our minds. We bought a little horse this summer and or this winter. And I want, I'd like to talk about this just for a second. This is actually, I had thought of this and then I left, it left me earlier. And so it's come back to me. So we had bought this little horse and we bought her kind of with the intention of like, see what she's like. And we were thinking we were going to actually sell her to my sister and my daughter like fell in love with her, but then she didn't, she, you know, she fell in love with her enough that she made us feel like, oh my gosh, maybe this is it. Maybe she's into horses now. This is a dream that we've been waiting for, for so long. And then she didn't go to the barn for like three months or four months. And as that time was passing, we were watching this horse get better and better and better. And this is one thing that it it brings up is that sometimes horses are in the wrong situation to be appreciated. So sometimes it takes a horse going to a new home in a new environment to see their true potential and truly be appreciated for what they're good at. So this horse came from a pleasure barn and they loved her there, but she was different and what her needs were different than these other horses. So her value was less she came to us and she was on fire. Like she liked to move. She liked to, she liked the cows. She had all these really great things that were looked for by the people in our burn and her value rose based on what we were doing. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's just different. So when that happened and her value rose, it didn't only rise for us. It did for the people that were around. They're like, Oh my gosh, like, I wish I had a horse like that. And my daughter's interest 
went downhill again. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we had to shift, we had to pivot. And it was really difficult and really painful for our family. And was, we had to do I it. Yeah. We had to do it. And I felt a lot of feelings around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to make sure guilt wasn't one of them. But that that horse, like we saw her this weekend, we went to, you know, she was at the clinic. She wasn't in the clinic, but she was at the facility that we were doing the clinic. And she is so loved and valued where she is. And it, you know, it was the right thing to do. It was really crappy to have to do. And I almost feel bad having bought her. And, and, you know, I really, I feel like we gave an impression that we were going to keep this mare for our daughter because we were like, oh my God, we're going to, this is it. Mm -hmm. And that, changed. Yeah. And when you're in the industry of buying and selling horses and training and stuff, and I was going to touch on this a little bit earlier when you were talking about Mike um, selling his horse for someone else to do really well with, it's the whole community, the whole equestrian community really benefits from trainers who are able to put that time and that foundation um, and training into the horses and then move them on to a family or another rider who can really excel with them. So there is a hundred percent a space for people that can do that. And, and that's appreciated definitely from the community. I think what gives buying and selling a bad name is, is like a lack of honesty and a lack of forthrightness and, I think that's where things become a little gray for people because maybe they've had bad experiences where someone will say their horses one way and, and it's not at all, or, or the, you know, horses change. So in different environments, so maybe it's not always their fault, but you know, they've blatantly told a lie while, while selling a horse. And I think that transparency is absolutely vital when it comes to selling horses. And I'll tell you just a really quick story because it's really funny. When Mike sold boy, I was listening to him on the phone with the gentleman who was buying him. And I would like laugh. I was like, are you actually trying to sell this horse right now? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you like, I'm sure part of him was trying to sabotage the sale because he was like, he doesn't even really like people. Like, he just, he'll do the work because he's really good, but he doesn't even really like you, which is, you know, sort of true, but he really did like Mike. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> and, you know, we were, he was talking and saying, you know, he is a goofball. Like he, he had a really cool personality, but it was really goofy. And um, Blake came to me that night when Mike was, was explaining to this gentleman what the horse is like. And she came in the bathroom and she is laughing and she said, mommy, daddy's talking about boy and he's describing himself. <laughs> he just said that he's really goofy but when it comes to work he like really like buckles down and he's a really hard worker and I was like yeah he's he's describing himself and that's what made it like so challenging for people to accept but yeah um, when we think about that we have to just understand that part of telling the good things about the horses is being honest and telling all of the things and you know if you are looking to sell then then make sure you're honest so I'm not sure if it's an exact quote, but there's a bit of a method when it comes to buying and selling horses and and raising horses that you would want to set them up for success in yeah. their life. So if you put them through the, I don't know, desensitization or get them used to experiences and have life experiences so that when they go to the next owner that they are taken care of and loved and they're safe right? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like prepping your child to go off into the world. So you, you give those foundational pieces so that, you know, they're going to be safe in wherever, whatever situation they get put into. Um, I think if you think of your horse, uh, the same way where you say, okay, if he's out of my hands, is he going to be able to make the right choices to keep him safe, uh, him or her? I think that that helps us kind of get clear on what we need to, um, to make sure our horses are, have a foundation of, you know what I mean? Like what, what they need to be strong in. Yeah, for sure. That's what I was looking for was foundation. So I think we should move on to you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine, but maybe just take a little more time in our explanations today just so, so that we can um, just dig into our own personal experiences a little bit more, if that's cool. That's a great idea. Can I just do a quick sponsorship message before we do? You tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. 
This sponsor is new to us and we're very grateful. Christian Low Leather Care, handcrafted in small batches by Saddler Christian Low himself, leaves your tack and leaves goods nourished and looking its best. It's available online and at select tack shops. Wonderful. I am getting a lot of use out of my Christian Low Leather Care products these days. You know what? You know what I'm using the most right now? I'm using his saddle, um, no, his laundry soap the most. So my husband came home with brand new cinch jeans with a giant oil stain on them last week, Mm. uh, per usual. And he was in panic mode because they're his clinic jeans that he wore to work. And so I took the the laundry soap and I just put it directly on the stain and just kind of smoshed it in and then left it there and then put it into a high temp wash and it came out so it's great if I have to like do any sort of I have a new puppy so if she pees on her bed or on like a towel or anything like that then I always add that in with my other detergent it's great oh that is so good and it smells so good we always talk about how good it smells so I have been really trying to keep my leather care products really close by after I, I ride these days just so that I'm more in the habit of giving them a little going over with the oil or the leather balm after I'm done riding. And I even recently had uh, my son start doing it and he thought it was great. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Did I see a conversation going back and forth between you and Christian about riding your, with your tack in the rain? Absolutely. Yes. And I'm going to do a bit of a video on Instagram about this and answer the question. Um, recently I got caught in the pouring rain in my saddle and I did write Christian just to say like, is there anything I should be doing? Is this okay? Is this not okay for my saddle? And his answer was, it's actually not so bad for a Western saddle to get wet. And it's probably, I I don't know if he said good, but it's not bad for it, especially if it's well conditioned in the first place. And then you oil it afterwards. And what actually causes the harm is riding in wet leather saddles because it makes it stretch so if you get caught in the rain it's no big deal just oil it afterwards and make sure it stays conditioned okay awesome that's great all right let's move on to you tell me yours I'll tell you mine and today we are talking about a time when we've made a decision to sell a horse that we love because it was the best thing for us both and I think that anyone who has sold a horse probably has a story like this so Nikki do you want to tell us your story first absolutely so This was really tough. When you sent this question to me, I was like, I could talk about literally every horse I've owned. And I decided to talk about my most recent sell because she was, she was a special mare in the sense that she was not only special to me, but she was special in her sensitivities. You know, like she was just... I guess you could use the word fractious um, to describe her. She was a horse that I wouldn't just let anybody on. She was one that I made sure I took care of her mind and body as often as possible. And I had to put a lot of work into her mind to keep her feeling secure and safe. Um, I had one person tell me I was in a sorting clinic once that if somebody else was riding her at that point in time, they would have sent her across through the back wall. Like she just, she had a huge heart, but she had um, also had the ability to become quite anxious. So I did a lot of work with her. She came to us quite anxious and we did a lot of work to her with her to um, help her feel more secure and feel like she knew the answers to the questions that were being asked of her. So when, and she was also talented, like super, super talented. So here was the challenge in deciding whether I was going to sell Betty. It was that she and I got along really well. I liked her, um, her athletic ability. I liked her personality. I liked everything, her body. She was beautiful. She was so pretty and I really loved everything about her, but there was one part of her that didn't match my next level goals. And that was her cow pony mind. And so 
I had a goal to go into reigning and I have a reason why I wanted to switch into reigning in particular. And I come from, as I've, I've probably said, I come from a hunter background. So in my hunter background, everything was individual and it was pretty and I really enjoyed it. I liked the, um, the placement of a pattern uh, and not, a, it was, you know, you're round when you're in hunter, but I liked being uh, really good at, at using my ring and I know that there are so many pieces of reining that relate to Hunter that I was like, oh, this is like doing the thing I used to do in Western tack, but also has the next level of horsemanship. So I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of the mind and, and walk in and have my horse with me with a crowd and like have them keep their head down and be with me off the lightest ask and do all of these things and I knew reigning was where I wanted to go for that. And so I also knew that Betty was like somewhat capable of doing this with me. And I entered two shows with her and I did well in those two shows with her. I, I put a lot of work into her in order to be able to do what I did, but you know, like I could have at a low level met my goal, but I'm not a low level goal meter. <laughs> so it's it was a challenge. I really like had to sit and, and, and think about like, where did I want to go and why did I want to sell her and what did I want to do next? And so I sat with it for a while and again, we didn't advertise her. She ended up like being sold to somebody that we knew. And I was really grateful that this individual bought her. I do feel like it opened up an opportunity for me to have a whole new horse experience. And that's that I've always, always bought the horse that needed me to help them all of the time. So I, I was always on the horse that, you know, whether they were spooky or anxious or something, there was something about them that I felt like I was always having to support them. And I never had that, that quiet mind that, natural confidence. That's what it was. It was the confidence piece. These horses, like I had to put confidence in them. They needed me to be confident, to be confident. And I was learning, I was a beginner at reigning. I was learning a whole new discipline. And I wanted for the first time in my life to be able to sit on a horse that could teach me something. And I financially was in a place in my life that I could finally do that. And that was why I decided to sell Betty and get a horse that had a foundation. He was only four. So I still had the, like the little bit of greenness, but man, he's broke. So I could trust that his foundation was going to help me learn. And that's why I, I did what I did. I love that because you know what, there's, if, if you put them side by side, you know, athletic ability or willingness or talent or anything like that, maybe they would match somewhat in terms of that. And you would have just gotten along in a similar score right now in your classes that you're in, but it's the confidence and it's the, it's that enjoyment out of it, right? You can really sit on board and just enjoy what you're doing and work on learning it yourself yeah. because he, he's got this. Yeah. You know, he yeah. is a trained reigning horse. Yeah. And I like, you know, I've said this before, um, out loud and I'll say it because I don't, I don't have any shame in setting goals that are ambitious and make my stomach upset. That's how I, how I like to like live my life is to set those goals. And, you know, sometimes people who, um, who don't set those goals that make them a little nervous, they might not understand them, but like my goal is to be able to walk in, in the Maritimes in the reigning world at an open level and have, have people feel like I'm a contender. And I didn't feel like I was going to get to that place with Betty. And it wasn't that I wanted to fast track into that with a reigning horse, but I wanted to set myself up for success and, you know, getting the reigning minded horse. And I'm telling you, there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. Getting the horse that doesn't have that that mind that sees everything that you have to take care of it all of the time is a game changer when that's what you want to do. And I Absolutely. mean, that might take me 10 years to do that. This is not me saying that I have the ability to do that right now, because right now I don't necessarily. Um, but I, that's what I would like to do. And I don't care if it takes me 10 days or 10 years or, or, you know, whatever. 
I think you absolutely made the right decision to sell her and to get Ford because also now you have the ability to put him out in the field and then pull him out a month later, get on him, just tune up some things and go ride. You know, you don't have to be worried about where's his mind or is, is he focused and is he worried and things like that. And that is important when you're a mom and you're busy and you're working and you don't have time to ride every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Tell me yours. Okay. So first I just want to talk about that little pony, my first pony that I sold before I told my story. I didn't sell her. Um, this is the the $300 pony that my grampy bought me when I was 12 or 13 years old. And so she had a foal. And I think when, when he was two, I had two horses and I am only by then what, 15 or so. And I came home one day, my mom had been saying to me, you're going to have to get rid of one of them. We can't afford to keep both of them. I'm working a summer job probably for the first time, but that's the only financial contribution I can do. And, and I was like, well, I don't know. I don't want to sell either one of them. And I couldn't ride the, the foal at that point. He was only two and I wasn't ready. And how am I supposed to know how to do that? And, but also I knew that she was going to be too small for me. She was only 13 hands. So I knew I was going to outgrow her. And anyway, I came home one day and I realized that the decision had been made for me because a lady knocked on the door to pay me the money for my pony that she had bought for my mother. And so mom had made this decision for me, but didn't tell me. And so it was pretty traumatizing and I was pretty heartbroken about it. And I know that she made the decision based on, you know, finances and responsibility. And I was a child and I wasn't really at the place where I could make those decisions and I shouldn't have been allowed to really, you know, I can't, it's not my decision to keep two horses if I can't afford to pay for them or look after them. And I'm becoming a teenager and getting busy and stuff. So it was really heartbreaking, but I understand now why that had to be done. As a mom, doesn't it like shift your perspectives for so many things? Yeah. Now that we're moms, we can see that, but man, that would have been hard. Yeah, she might have gone about it the wrong way. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe you could have just told me about that, mom. But anyway, um, yeah. okay. So let me tell you about my heart horse that I sold, and it it was a really hard decision, and but I know it was for the best. So Woody, I found he was my first horse that I bought as an adult. That I was like you know, a similar decision to you. I want a reigning horse. I'm going to buy this horse with my own money. And, you know, my husband and I, we went and looked at him in Saskatchewan and then we had him taken to Nova Scotia when we moved here. And he was only, I think three, maybe four when I got him green broke and, but had the foundation there of being started and could have become a reigner. And I learned a lot with him because I had been out of horses, not riding for a few years. And so all of a sudden I'm taking reining lessons. I'm taking trail lessons and all these different horsemanship. My horsemanship is completely different because I've started this new different way. I don't started out with Pirelli and natural horsemanship back then. That was like six or seven years ago. And it has evolved since then, but a completely different mindset when it came to horsemanship when I got this horse. So I had a lot of experiences with him. I tried so many different things and it was my first horse as an adult that I was caring for and that I was taking to clinics and horse shows. And so we had so many hours spent with each other and I had always wanted this a Hollywood done it horse. And he was, you know, he had Hollywood done it on his papers and he was just gorgeous and so athletic and so sweet. But what happened was I had a baby and I came back and I started riding again and I was really stressed and tired and anxious. And that energy and that mindset really translated to him. And I didn't have the patience and I didn't understand why he wasn't really performing the way that he used to not wanting to do trail obstacles the way he used to just not, we weren't clicking anymore. And, and I realized, you know, a couple of years after I sold him that it had more to do with my mindset at the time that I should have taken a step back and just kind of like, let it be and not pushed it. Like I pushed really hard to try to get back to what it was after I had been kind of off for almost a year. 
And so the relationship was a little different. And so I decided to sell him. I think, you know, the, the decision was made one day after your house, we were down at your house and I was like really frustrated. And it was that situation where we were talking about the, in the beginning, where it's like, I had less good days than mm. I had, or, you know, more bad days than I had good days mm. with him though in that time. Mm-hmm. And I was really frustrated that he knew better. And we, we know not to say that now, like mm. he knows better. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. Maybe he did, but in this moment, there's something he's lost his confidence. He's lost his trust in me. Cause I'm not the same person I was. My chemicals, my energy were just not the same as they used to be. And I was maybe a little more nervous than I used to be. So that's a long story of that. So I decided I'm going to put him up for sale, but I kept riding him and things got better. And so we get into the fall and a couple people had looked at him, didn't buy him. I kept riding. He was doing super well. I had a clinic and I questioned, okay, maybe I'm not going to sell him now. And of course, the next day, somebody called me and said, do you still want to sell your horse? I want to come and look at him. And I was like, oh gosh, I don't really know. Do I really want to sell him now? Because he seems like we're getting back on track. And anyway, she came and loved him. And so I thought this has to be the right thing. I'm selling him up at the high point. Mm-hmm. And she bought him and she loved him and did really well. And it was really hard for me. And then I think it was two years later, I saw that she posted him for sale and I cried and I looked at my husband and I was like, do we buy him back? Because I still love him. and I don't know what to do because I don't know where he's going to go. And we couldn't just financially afford and have, have the space and the time to buy him back. Um, so I just let the cards fall where they did. And it turned out that he went to a really great home doing something that he loves, which is a lot of trail riding. And the lady that owns him now, um, really appreciates all the groundwork that I put in with him. And I think that it has all worked out for the best. And I know the backstory on the woman who owns him now, and it makes my heart so happy to know that she has him. So, and I know that feeling, like, I know how you were feeling when you were like, oh gosh, now he's out of my hands. Like now this situation has changed and I'm really proud of you for like feeling that and going through that. And then, and like being able to let go of the, the, um, personal responsibility there enough to be able to trust that it was going to work out. I could, I could literally cry right now. No. Just thinking about it. Like you guys, like it is real. Like you, you can have a hard horse and sell them because it, it is he, I love that horse. And so I did a TikTok a few weeks ago. I was on a family vacation in, I, I mean, it has to be her. She lives in, does she live near Shelburne or Liverpool or something? Because I believe so. Yeah. So yeah. I'm out yes. there. I don't know where I am. We're just driving down a country road and I look out the window and he was in the field, <laughs> like literally him. So we stopped and we did a slow drive by back. And I was just like, Oh, there he is. There's Woody. Like, mm. you know, I recognize him a mile away. <laughs> oh, that's so, Sometimes horses come into your life at the right time and they leave at the right time. Sometimes you need a horse in a certain stage of your life and then you can grow and change and have a different horse come in for a different reason. And I think that would be similar with you and Betty and Ford, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I think too, when I hear that story, I just think, you know, Heather, I think it's a meme that, or like just a line that people send around on social media about like, be kind to people because you only know a very small percentage of what's happening. And I feel like the judgment that goes around selling horses or keeping horses or anything to do with what people do with their horses is it can be so harsh with such little information. Right. And to like, think of the emotion, the emotion that you have now towards selling him and like wanting the best for him and knowing that you made that decision, you know, very informed. Um, and also, you know, it was, it's difficult. It's hard. People don't do these things and maybe they do, maybe some people do, (laughs) but the majority of people that are making these hard decisions are not doing it on a whim. And if they are doing it for financial reasons, it's not because they're greedy. Um, and I think that should probably be said too, because sometimes there's that like, oh, they're just doing it for the money. Well, 
I think things run deeper than that. And it's easy for us to think that it's just that simple. And it's never just that simple. I mean, unless we live in a place where there's some big money, nobody's making like the time you put into (laughs) the time you put into training is so significant compared to the money you get back. Right. For that. We are not here in the Maritimes in it to for the money. No. Uh, but it is like I think I think we just have to check ourselves a little bit when it comes to like looking at what people are doing, decision making around their horses, whether that be to bring a new horse into their lives or to move a horse on from their lives or keep a horse in their lives and really start to just trust that people know what's best for them. And that there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things we have no idea about that are factors in people's decision-making. Yes, a hundred percent. And now before I move on to our listener story, I want to play devil's advocate on myself because this is what I've done to myself, or especially in the first couple of years after I sold Woody, is that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And sometimes you need to work through your issues instead of selling your horse to buy a better one. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because that's really important too. Yeah. Why, like get into the reason why are you selling them? And is it yeah. because things are hard? And, you know, maybe you just need more support in order to get through the problem. So yeah, we're definitely not saying like sell them all because you're having a hard time and you think they're, you know, there's yeah, if, if safety is not a concern, if finance is a concern, if, if talent isn't a concern or ability, and, and sometimes it's, if it's just the training and you love the horse, then work with a trainer and put in the time yeah. to, to fix the issue and to get where you need to be. It's amazing what happens when you start having some wet saddle pads and some mm-hmm. time in the saddle and working through those issues. And then all of a sudden this horse that you have in your yard is the perfect horse that you always wanted them to be. Oh, I'm telling you the respect I have for people who have these horses that literally like they, they scare them. They're nervous of them. They like, they have to work through some crazy stuff with these horses and you see them five or six years down the road, having not given up on them. And they're like, rocking it and they have a great relationship and they're working in the right direction. Those are great stories. Like those are amazing to see. So those are just as important. But I think, again, it comes down to just like personal choice, like what is right for you and in this time in your life. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because because yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it, this, you know, in the last five years, since I've had a child, I don't have the time to put in the same as you, like I used to. And so I needed a horse that I could just pull out of the field and he's going to be calm and chill when I go and get him. And that's the kind of horse I like anyway. I don't want a horse that's going to be scared of everything and and nervous and, and a hot horse. I like a chill horse. And so that is what I have and pretty much what I've always had. And but with Bo now, he's used to cows. He does obstacles. He does raining. He's like great at ranch riding that we've learned, you know? And so he's a good all round horse, which is more of what I had wanted in the first place so that I can just like dabble in whatever I want. And right now we're focusing on ranch riding and raining, but it, it depends what you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Nadine, speaking of being a mom, you do soon have to go pick up your child. So oh, yeah, let's. Okay just read the listener and then we're going to wrap this thing up because I love the conversation, but I don't want you to be late. Okay, sure. So Jessica shared her story with us. She had a paint mare that she rodeoed with for 10 years. She was a rock star and took care of her. But when it came time to get more serious about speed events in high school, she had to come to terms with the fact that her 22 year old 14 hand horse just wasn't going to be able to compete at the level that she needed her to. It seemed like the universe was paying attention though, because someone reached out to her family looking for a solid rodeo horse for a young girl. And they knew it was meant to be. It broke Jessica's heart to sell this horse, but she loved her job and did a great job babysitting new cowgirls for years after. And Jessica also mentioned that she has a niece of this horse still. And, and she still looks back fondly at all of that time that she took so much great care of her. Jessica, thank you for sharing that with us. Isn't it amazing when you hear those stories of like, the horse moved on and then they taught so many people and they touched so many, so many lives in a positive way. And I just, I love that. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the conversation, everyone. Again, 
you know, this is really placed on a non-judgment level of whatever choice is right for you, but it also hopefully opens up your, um, your eyes and your mind to be able to think about like, why do I have this horse? Why am I choosing to keep them? Why am I choosing to sell them? Um, am I more open in one way or another, if I had a closed mind on this topic and, you know, am I passing judgment where maybe judgment doesn't need to be passed and making sure that we're being kind to people who are going through some really challenging decisions. And what we expect from someone isn't necessarily what's going to happen. If somebody that we know buys a horse and we think they're going to keep it forever and then they sell it after three years, then that is their decision. And our expectations really shouldn't be placed on them. Maybe they have to sell it after three months. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. We really appreciate you. And we will speak to you next time on Canada Horse Podcast. Talk to you soon, guys. Thanks for listening today. If you know a fellow Canadian equestrian or equine business you think needs to be highlighted on the show, be sure to email podcast at informedequestrian.com so we can be in touch. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to send us some love is by sharing about Canada Horse Podcast and Informed Equestrian with your friends. And leaving a review is always appreciated. Your support means the world to us. Until next time. Right on, Canada.